Welcome back to the Ed Morrissey Show podcast. Joining me today is Ashley Baker. She is the Director of Public Policy at the Committee for Justice. Her focus areas include the Supreme Court, regulatory policy, antitrust, and judicial nominations. Uh, She's testified before the United States Senate Committee on the Judiciary on the topic of antitrust law. She's also the founder of Alliance on Antitrust. She's a member of the Federalist Society, Republican of the National Lawyers Association, and uh, she also worked closely on the efforts to confirm Justices Neil Gorsuch, Brent Kavanaugh, and Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. And we're going to talk today about the Federal Trade Commission. Ashley, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you for having me, Ed. I feel like I've already talked to you after, after that lengthy bio. I mean, this is that's an impressive bio. You, you've been around a lot in, in government. You've seen a lot of stuff here. Not in government, but a bit outside of governments and oh, you know, right, right. watching About what's government. happening with the government. <laughs> About oversight of government. I should, yeah, you're right. I should, I should, because if I say you're in government, people are going to go, Ooh, well, that's, that's not good. <laughs> um, so now we, we just sort of, uh, connected on Twitter over a particular issue with Federal Trade Commission. There's more to this story than what connected us initially, but let's talk a little bit about what connected us initially, which was that uh, in the middle of Elon Musk making all sorts of revelations about how the federal government had combined with prior Twitter management and presumably management of other social media platforms to censor people and to quash dissent and debate, on Twitter, the Federal Trade Commission all of a sudden wanted to know the names of the journalists that they were talking to um, because of supposed privacy issues. And when this came up, I mean, uh, certainly, you know, the alarms went off in my head over what the Federal Trade Commission thought they were doing with this. And apparently I was not alone. Yes, absolutely. So so this goes back to um, a, a bit of background about how the Federal Trade Commission enforces its authority and like how that can be overly broad and how in this case, um, the Federal Trade Commission decided to target that towards Elon Musk is that the Federal Trade Commission has um, this authority under something called Section 5 of the FTC Act, in which they can issue these broad consent decrees. And they're not, these are not required by law. Um, these are not necessarily like statutory. These are something that they can say, you know, these uses of data are good, you know, you can do this, you can't do this. Um, and if you violate this, um, then you know, it's kind of like a cease and desist order sort of system. Um, in which they can go back and revisit that and request more production of documents. But that's always very specifically tied to that order. So here we have the Federal Trade Commission going on a fishing expedition, and this is very much not business at usual at the FTC, what the um, FTC is doing with Elon Musk and asking for the identity of these reporters, asking for anything related to, you know, that mentions Elon Musk. This is way outside the scope of what you would normally see from the Federal Trade Commission. Right. And, And it comes at a point in time when there's already a heightened concern over the political weaponization of federal agencies uh, in regards to people who are dissenting or people who are speaking out against government policies. And that combined with the revelations that were coming out from Matt Taby, from Michael Schellenberger, Barry Weiss was involved in this. I think there, I may be missing one other person who was part of the Twitter files um, exposés. But it's also it was also very clear 
who was actually getting access to those files? It was Barry Weiss, Michael Schellenberger, Matt Taby. And again, it was public. You know, it, it, I believe there was one more and that was public knowledge as well. just not coming to mind at the moment. But I mean, this looks like a, it looks like a regulatory brushback pitch. I, you know, the FTC does have jurisdiction over data privacy issues. This is something that you discuss in your podcast at uh, your latest podcast at the Federalist Society, which I believe went up uh, about a month ago, about last month. I, yes, I had yeah. one that discussed their authority under Section Five. Yes. Yeah. So it's clearly data privacy is in that jurisdiction, but it, it really does look like this was a pretextual claim about a data privacy issue when what this really was was a demand that Elon Musk reveal his contacts with journalists. And I'm a little mystified as to why more journalists didn't look at this right. and raise alarms as well. Were you surprised by that, Ashley? Having followed, you know, the actions of this FTC and how the media has worked hand in hand with FTC, I'm not surprised, but I think that's the correct reaction to be surprised by that. And I really like the, you know, the word you use pretextual. I mean, it that does kind of nail it and that this, it's not as if they're following up on this 2011 consent decree saying, oh, we think this specific thing is a violation. Like there, here's the nexus, here it is. Um, we want you to look into this. And it's, you know, very clearly going on a fishing expedition. They're not the only ones. Um, the IRS actually visited Matt TV's house the day he was testifying on that committee yes. and came out recently, which is absolutely bonkers. That's absolutely insane. I mean, that's one of the things that kind of along the lines of what Richard Nixon was impeached for. Um, I mean, it, it's insane. Um, and if you look at what the FTC has done over the years, particularly regarding uh, Twitter, whenever Musk decided he was going to take over Twitter, you saw Lena Khan's boss at Open Markets Institute, a far left-leaning um, group that is on the left, that is you know, basically kind of dictating what the FTC does as well from the outside, saying, sending them letters saying, you know, you need to look into this, you need to look into this, and then guess what? The FTC does that the very next day, um, and they're you know, making all these sweeping proposals. We no longer have, as of um, the 31st of March, we will no longer have a Republican commissioner at all on the Federal Trade Commission. It'll be 3-0 with all Democrats. Um, and, you know, we have a partisan body operating that is supposedly supposed to be an independent agency. And I think at the end of the day, courts are not going to like this. Well, I think courts are not going to like this. There's already, a, I think you're right about that. There's already a court decision. I think it was yesterday. It may have been late last week, and I think it's some—it's a district court, but somewhere in the fifth uh, Fifth Circuit, um, regarding the issues of a what I, what we've been calling sort of like the government industrial censorship regime, uh, where you know not just not just the FBI, but the CDC, Department of Homeland Security, which is you know for those who don't know, the FBI is a completely separate department from from DHS, they, they operate under the Department of Justice, um, we're, we're, we're demanding that people get suspended over their content. Some of this was COVID related, some of it was election related. All of it had to do with free speech and dissent. And a, a judge, and I, I think his name was Terry Doughty, if I remember correctly, ruled that the plaintiffs in, the, in these cases, I think they came, I think this is coming out of Louisiana and one, Missouri, uh, ruled that the plaintiffs had actually made the case that this was a real uh, issue 
there was real constitutional issues involved in it and it should proceed to trial, which normally these things get tossed out, but just to give you, give everybody a, a, a sense of proportion here, he wants this to move to trial. Now, this ruling is going to get appealed and we'll be fighting over this for a couple of years at least. But I think it shows here that the FTC is also sort of insinuating itself in that same position, um, using what you, as you say, their, their massive partisan advantage at the moment to, um, to block and uh, run interference for the government industrial censorship complex. I think they're they're running um you know they're running interference for I mean whether it be censorship whether it be you know deals just they don't like um they they want certain mergers they don't like abandon the boardroom like they like to say um with that specific decision it's a little bit of a different topic but I, I do uh, agree like it's hard to say like you know where that state action line really is because that area of law is pretty murky but the fact that it was not dismissed um and that we'll continue to see discovery for example from that um from that and look at you know Missouri v Biden a lot of the discovery documents coming out there i think are pretty damning um against um against particularly the government, particularly against the FBI, the DHS, um, and, and those branches. Going back to the FTC, though, I, I think that this is, um, you know, they've ran a lot of interference and, in, you know, in favor of the Biden administration. And had this been the Trump administration, you know, the, the administration, like, the media was very annoyed that, like, Ajit Pai and Trump were, like, in the same room of the same building or in the same building whatsoever, and that the FCC was apparently an independent agency, and, you know, there's this whole uproar, and you look in, like, the FTC and the Biden administration, I mean, they really very strongly believe in the unitary executive theory, which, so do I, which is why we shouldn't necessarily have these independent agencies as they are, um, but there is certainly a huge level of hypocrisy there. Yeah, of course, I, I'm old enough to remember when dissent was patriotic, too. So, you know, <laughs> the hypocrisy never ends in Washington. And I've got to say that it is at least somewhat bipartisan. If you are if you stick around long enough, it's at least somewhat bipartisan. But this is actually really egregious because we're talking about constitutional violations, First Amendment violations, free speech and dissent and debate violations. This isn't just your ordinary average regulatory overreach here. This is a big brother system, um, which might be moving towards a social credit type of system uh, based on social media input. I, I, it's a very scary, it's a very scary prospect. Yes, I, I think though that the Federal Trade Commission particularly is flying a bit too close to the sun when it comes to the courts. Um, yep. Humphrey's executor way back in the 1930s, they said, you know, this is an independent agency only because its role is kind of this quasi-judicial, quasi-legislative thing. And, and it does not you know, represent what the court said that it represented at the time. And I think the courts have been kind of hinting at um, this being the case. And they keep losing in court, by the way. They keep losing to their own ALJs. Um, the FTC's ALJs have ruled against them in both the Alfred Jewell um, buyouts and um, the, you know, e-cig, the, the vaping case, um, and yep. also in the Illumina Grell case, um, which was a merger of a um, blood testing company that could early detect cancer um, and could have given us a lot better treatment options much earlier on. And the FTC said, no, we're going to use our authority here. But in the FTC's own ALJ, in what was quite a very good opinion, um, that came out from an ALJ and, and saying, you know, no, this is completely out of line with the merger guidelines. 
Um, so they're losing to themselves in their internal court. They're losing, you know, in federal court. They're losing all over the place. And they're saying, oh, this is just because the law is wrong and we're right. Well, speaking of losing, you know, now that Republicans are in control of the House, nominal control of the House, there's a new weaponization of government subcommittee um, under judiciary, I believe. Is it judiciary or oversight? I believe it's judiciary. Am yes. I correct? Yes. All right. Jim Jordan is uh, chairing the subcommittee on that. Um, and Jim Jordan has asked for some data from the FTC, I think specific to, specifically to the Twitter issues. Um, and this has been kind of quiet. You know, you and I connected up and we've had scheduling issues. I, I just basically took a week off from work. So that's on me. Uh, but in, in honesty, the, this, the story hasn't really moved much since that point either. Is it moving at the weaponization of government subcommittee or is the FTC stalling there as well? I, I think the FTC, I mean, as far as what I know, and, you know, um, yeah. members of that committee might know a little bit more than I do, but as of right now, I, I think they are stalling. Um, you know, they, they asked for document production related to um, why exactly they're doing this, all the requests specifically, um, and all these specific communications regarding them and outside um, outside communications with consultants, such as I just mentioned, you know, Open Markets Institute and some of those other outside groups, um, how that factors into things. And um, that deadline has passed. And as far as I know, um, I, I have not seen any documents. I don't know if they didn't turn in the documents. I don't know if their production was completely lackluster. Um, I highly doubt that they were completely honest about everything that they sent in necessarily. Um, the Committee on Oversight on um, Wednesday, March 29th is having a hearing um, with several agencies regarding document production, the FTC being one of them. So um, I, I guess we'll see then. Um, Congressman Moran also had a great letter in which he submitted to the FTC with other members of the Oversight Committee asking, you know, for example, when exactly are you going to issue your new merger guidelines? That's a big deal. That's a big thing that every company in the United States is looking to have some guidance here. When is it coming? It's been two years um, since they repealed the last one, and I don't think they've received a response to that. Um, as far as I know, it has not been publicized, or maybe it was just completely lacking in detail. So we'll see. So, Ashley, I know that you're involved with a lot of different issues about the FTC and other parts of the government as well. What other issues should we be on, should be on our radar screen regarding the FTC? I think you mentioned basically their role in antitrust uh, legislation. And actually, I, I, I have to say that even though I'm a conservative, I'm actually a little sympathetic to antitrust for reasons that have to do with concentration of economic power, creating concentrations of political power. I'm curious, though, to see, and you just mentioned, I mean, the reason why I'm bringing this up is you just mentioned is that the FTC really isn't saying much about what their approach is going to be on mergers and acquisitions. But even if they're not saying much, what are their actions? What are you seeing uh, from what you're from from your observations about what's happening at the FTC? Sure. I, I, I should be a little bit clearer first. I mean, I, I'm not anti-antitrust. Um, and I think- Oh, no, I didn't, mean to imply that, I didn't mean to imply that you were, but I I mean, a lot of people who- It's a distinct fact to me. Yeah. I mean, this is because it's an ongoing debate at my site. I, I tend to be a little bit more aggressive about antitrust than, than maybe a lot of our readership. And they have really good points. They have really good reservations about government interventions. I I completely understand that. So I didn't mean to imply that about you. So I'll I'll, I'll clarify. Um, <laughs> what are your thoughts on this? And well, what I, I think we wouldn't have the um, Gilded Age without the government is um, 
kind of a thing I like to semi-jokingly say, but like because of all these other government regulations too, I mean, we end up with these concentrations and like age trust is a good remedy for those things um, in certain circumstances. And I totally agree with that. Um, when it comes to the FTC and the court, so I mean, I feel like a lot of the action is really going on at like the administrative law antitrust nexus. So um, for example, we have a Supreme Court case that has been heard by the Supreme Court on November 6th that we'll, we filed an amicus brief with at the Committee for Justice, by the way. Um, we filed an amicus brief in Axon versus the Federal Trade Commission. And the question in that case is very narrow, actually, but it has wider implications. So what the, the Supreme Court is going to decide is whether or not if um, when you bring a, a case is brought before the Federal Trade Commission and what they call part three proceeding, and that's their in-house um, panel where they're, you know, the judge, the jury, the executioner, they have um, full control over this. The FTC has the ability to do that in-house or they can do it in federal court. But if they do it in-house and you have a separate constitutional claim saying, you know, this agency does not have the authority to do this because it is not constitutionally structured, does that claim go to federal court or do you have to like exhaust all of your options in-house at the agency first and then go to federal court? And I think the, the uh, Supreme Court will probably and I, I hate to make these predictions because every time we make these predictions, you know, I can, I can very much go awry. Um, I, I do think, though, that on the narrow question um, of whether or not the um, the you can, you know, give rise to those constitutional claims in federal court, I think the Supreme Court will say yes. And I think that means that a lot of companies that have concerns about the Federal Trade Commission, Walmart being one of them, they just had a ridiculous suit um, back in October launched at them by the Federal Trade Commission. They went straight to um, to Federal District Court and said, hey, wait, this, this entire um, this entire agency is unconstitutionally structured and has no enforcement authority here. And I, I think you'll see a lot more of that. And I, I think that's kind of where the action is um, and the administrative law context, um, which, you know, a lot of people thought was very boring for many years. Now, a lot of people I'm very glad are excited about things like Chevron, things like our yes. difference. Yeah, things like, yeah. So I, you know, as, as an admin law nerd, I'm, I'm very excited to see what the court um, comes out with there and see if there's maybe any concurring opinions saying, you know, Humphrey's executor was decided wrongly. Um, this entire agency is unconstitutionally structured. Well, you know, CFPB is going through that right now. I, I, I don't think that that case has been resolved. That's this term, right? They're, they're deciding that this term, the CFPB. Um, they granted cert in a case from the Fifth Circuit that will be decided next term, I believe. Um, there are a couple. I, there are tangential issues, though, um, related to the CFPB, SEC, and other agencies that are similarly structured that could, um, could affect all of them. And I think that this is, I'm with you. I mean, I, I, first off, I'm, I, I tend to be sort of a geek about, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but I tend to be a geek about these types of constitutional law issues as they come up to the Supreme Court. I also think that this is a pretty good Supreme Court for addressing this because we've already seen that the Supreme Court is skeptical of authority, uh, you know, authority seizures. I don't know any better way of putting this by agencies without, without specific grants for Congress. And this this Supreme Court has been very firm on the major questions rule. The major questions yes. rule, for those who don't know it, is that if there is a major policy involved, an agency can't decide that on their own. It has to come from Congress, um, regardless of what the agency grant is. 
Um, even if it's technically within the jurisdiction, if it's a major question, it has to go to Congress. And this relates to the CDC's, well, there was a jurisdictional issue here too, but the CDC's eviction moratorium. Mm-hmm. Um, they're going to be looking at a case. I think they'll be looking at a case. I'm not sure if they've granted cert yet, but uh, they'll be eventually looking at a case on the mask mandates because the CDC keeps wanting to fight to uh, keep its authority to impose mask mandates on federal travel. That sort of thing is, I think, promising in its ability to limit government interventions. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm excited about those cases as well, because I think that the, that agency law has really been sort of a wild west, uh, and it really needs to be reined in significantly. I mean, I'd love to see Wickard B. Filburn get overturned. That gives you an idea of just how that, geek I am about yeah. this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> that would be my number one, actually. <laughs> but this this term, though, um, there's Biden v. Nebraska, which is another case um, about the student loan forgiveness. Because um, yes. they pronounced this an amicus brief with Hamilton Lincoln Law Institute, which we argue exactly that um, that under the major questions doctrine, you know, this this is clearly a major question. I mean, this um, has economic impact, you know, to vast degrees. And I've written on Justice Kavanaugh's. Um, opinions on major questions back when he was in the D.C. Circuit, which he has a very long um, history t- um, discussing, uh, particularly in um, regards to the PCAOB, and then Chief Justice Roberts down the line kind of adopted his reasoning there. And I think, yeah, there. I mean, I, I really wish Wicker P. Filburn were on the table. I joke that if there was, you know, one Supreme Court case, um, I, I say a lot of bad things happened around the year of 1937-ish, and that was the court packing mandates from FDR and also Wicker v. Filburn, which was, you know, down the line, a little bit of a result of that. But um, you can see there's some FTC interplay in here too and what happened in that era of um, of the court. Yes, I would be very happy if that got rolled back and the, and the understanding of interstate, the interstate commerce clause was specifically and explicitly that commerce which takes place across state lines. And that's the extent of jurisdiction. But then again, uh, I don't want to get too deep into this because that really is, I, I feel it's kind of geeky. I mean, it just is, but I'm with you. I think I think Team Wickard um, is uh, <laughs> at least two people on Team Wickard now for, um, for uh, Supreme Court uh, addressing, right? Right. In summary, he didn't even cross state lines. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Exactly. All right. Uh, you know, we're, we're really about out of time, Ashley, but uh, can you tell people where they can find you on your Twitter and Facebook and, and the different websites and of course, you know, Federalist Society and, and all the other great places that you're at? Sure. Thank you, Ed. Um, you can find me and I'm Director of Public Policy at the Committee for Justice. You can find my Twitter is at and Ashley says. Um, hashtag and Ashley says you can find anything I have to say about the Supreme Court, the Federal Trade Commission, um, dog photos, anything else um, you'd like to follow me for. Um, and at um, committeeforjustice.org or Alliance on Antitrust.org. The Alliance on Antitrust is a um, coalition of about two dozen conservative groups um, that include um, most of the conservative names you've heard of, most of the conservative groups you've heard of um, that are standing behind you know, a basic statement of Robert Bork's principles of antitrust and how we should not weaponize the government for political purposes on antitrust. And that's I, on allianceonantitrust.org. There you go. Uh, Alliance on Antitrust.org. And you work with um, Robert Bork's son, right? It, it, yes, my, he is a member of our coalition and we do a lot together. Um, Bob has done great work on antitrust. Yes. 
I, I interviewed him a few months back and uh, really enjoyed the conversation. And we had a really nice talk about antitrust. So yes, uh, Alliance on Antitrust.org, um, Committee for Justice.org. And I got to say a great Twitter handle at, and Ashley says, I mean, I, I just like that. And Ashley says, and you almost want to have the dot, dot, dot after that. But of course they don't let you do that on Twitter. But well, uh, Ashley Baker is, you know, a common name. So who was used yes. up by then? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. It's, 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 it's a great Twitter handle. Good on you for, for getting that. Ashley, thank you so much for being with us and hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Now that the political infighting is over and the sausage is being made in the House, it's time for Republicans to unite with one cause and fight back against Joe Biden and his radical administration. The GOP has promised to investigate Biden, family corruption, the border, big tech censorship collusion, the origins of COVID, the FBI, and intel agencies' attacks on the American people and more, and it's time to hold them to those promises. Here at Hot Air, we won't let up on holding them accountable. We unapologetically fight back against the radical left and squishy rhinos in Congress who fail the people. We bring you the truth and go to war against Biden's woke communist agenda. But we need your help. By becoming a VIP for uh, hotair.com, you can help us in this battle for our country. Just look at the House Democrats leader, Hakeem Jeffries. He's another divisive, radical leftist, and his communist Sesame Street speech proves it. If Republicans don't halt the Biden agenda and conservative media fails to hold them accountable, it could mean the end of our great country. Join us in the fight. Become a Hot Air VIP member or a VIP Gold member today and use the promo code SAVEAMERICA to receive a 40% discount on your membership. Stand with us and fight to save America. We will never give up. And thank you very much.